You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're calling it Dirty Church. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and get ready to study God's Word together. Yeah, that is so exciting, and I love that we get the opportunity to invest in more and more people as they're going out to serve the Lord. I wish that something like that was around when I was in seminary, uh, to be able to do that and serve. And we're grateful for uh, so many people who are being trained up and sent out for gospel ministry. Well, hey, I am really excited about getting into God's Word with you today. Um, We are continuing in our series of 1 Corinthians, so go ahead and grab your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. Um, You know, this is a passage that uh, is often skipped over by a lot of people in their Bible study and a lot of churches, frankly, as uh, they're preaching through. But we're a Bible church, and we preach through uh, entire books At a time. And so when we come to passages like this, um, Jeff Bucknam leaves town and gives them to me. Uh, No, we actually have a joke on our teaching team that Tommy Kreitz usually gets passages like this, but I'm grateful for even difficult passages like this that can be hard for us to understand at times because I believe that every word of the Bible is inspired. That, that God has breathed his spirit into the pages of this book and every single word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness so that we could be equipped for every good work. We could be used by God in this world for his purposes. And this is an important passage to remember, uh, as Pastor Jeff told us last week, that the Bible wasn't specifically written to us, that it was written to a group of people, the Corinthians, but it is written for us. And there's very much that we can glean from it. And so there's some specific things that you'll see in the text today that might be a little confusing, um, some applications to the people in Corinth that may not be the same applications to us, but those principles are the same. So if you look over at your Bible, 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 2, the heading in my Bible says head coverings. And uh, while some things in this might be confusing or, or uh, hard to understand, and there might even be some parts of this that are uncomfortable for you, um, you can go ahead and email me. Um, and let me know what you think. Uh, my name is Jeff Bucknam. That's B-U-C-K. But there are portions that, that of God's word like this one that tend to clash with uh, our modern culture. And so when, we, when our culture clashes with God's word, we submit to the truths of God's word even when it's uncomfortable. I'm fond of saying that it doesn't really matter what I think. And frankly, it doesn't really matter what you think. It really only matters what God thinks. And he tells us right here, what he thinks. And so we're submitting to the truth of God's word at all times. We're going to learn from God's word today. But before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word, for even passages like this that are confusing at times and and hard to understand. But we know that you put every section of your word in there for our purposes, for our growth, for 
the fact that we would grow to know you and to love you more. And so we would pray that you would do that in our hearts and our minds today. Be with us as we look at this text. By your Holy Spirit, would you, would you open the, pa- the eyes uh, of our hearts to the pages that are before us? And we know that you tell us, even in the book of John, that you will, um, you're, by your Holy Spirit, you will illuminate the things that you have said. And so would you do that today? It's gracious of you to do that for us. We ask it in faith by Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so hopefully you're already at 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 2. Let's look at our text. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is is God. Now, stop for just a moment. So, most likely what's happening here is the Corinthians ask a specific question of Paul, and he's answering that um, during his letter here. A, a really, a key to this passage is this word right here, head. We're going to see this quite a bit. And what Paul is meaning when he says head, the head of Christ is God, what he's saying is the authority, the, the boss, the person in charge. He's talking about the word authority. It's also important to note here that um, when Paul says um, that the head uh, of, of a wife is her husband, he's not saying that the head of all women is all men. Is it clear? He's specifically talking about a marriage relationship. We'll see that a little bit later. He's saying that the, the husband is the head of his wife, and that's important as we look at this. He's talking specifically about the roles within a marriage. Let's continue to read. So every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short, But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of, here we go, authority, on her head because of the angels. Okay, pause for a moment again. So again, this passage specifically, the principles here we're going to draw out, but what's happening here is um, we're seeing that Paul's talking a lot about head coverings. And so uh, coming down the aisles on every campus, the ushers are passing out head coverings for all of the ladies. They're coming now. I'm kidding. Uh, we're not doing that. Um, but literally, the, the word, when, it, when Paul says head coverings, it, it literally means coming down from the head. So there's a lot of debate, actually, around this passage. Does it mean a, a, a fabric shawl or some Christian traditions would have those little, I'm sorry, I don't know what they're called. They're like the little doily head coverings. Um, uh, so it, does it mean something like that? Does it mean a baseball hat? probably not a baseball hat back then, but is it some kind of physical head covering like a piece of fabric? Or does Paul actually mean hair? Is he talking about specific hairstyles? Because both of these things were, 
were true at that time, that, that married women would wear in public, they would wear a head covering, a physical head covering, but also their hairstyles was, were very important. It's not so much now. If you have super, if you're a woman, you have very, very short hair, it's totally fine. It doesn't communicate anything about what you believe about the Lord or what your relationship is in your marriage. But back then, it did. And so I'm not really sure, to be honest. I've studied it all week. I don't really know if he's talking about hair or if he's talking about a physical head covering. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because the principle, the point is the same. That Paul is saying that women and men should dress and should act in ways that show that we are under God's authority. That's what his point is for this whole Peace. Let's continue and finish reading uh, our passage today. Let me, let me, sorry, adjust that. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper, proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So this passage and the following ones that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, specifically, Paul is talking about the ways that people, that the people of God, handle themselves in the corporate gathering of believers. He's talking about what happens specifically at church. And I want to just take a little aside. Um, Paul's talking about the ways specifically here that married women are acting during, uh, at the, in Corinth, during church. That's what he's talking about. But he's, don't miss the fact that he's assuming that these women are leading at church, that they're a part of the leadership of a weekend worship service that's happening. Because I grew up in a church that believed the Bible, and I'm grateful for that. And they believed uh, God's, uh, the few restrictions, there are only a couple, about the, the role of women in a church. But that tended to mean way more than that. It meant women weren't allowed to pray publicly in, in worship services. They couldn't lead worship. They, there were lots of things that ladies couldn't do. And that is not in the Bible. We are Bible-believing Christians. Do not add a whole bunch of junk to what God's word has to say. Women should be leading in every single position of authority in a church, except for the things that God specifically says not that. And that is not, we'll see in a moment, that is not at all having to do with value or importance or ability. It's simply having to do with role. The only things that we see in God's word that women are uh, not able to do in a local church is hold the office of elder and do the actual job of an elder, which is proclaiming God's word on a weekend service. So preaching and being an elder, that's it. Everything else women should do in a church. And any church that says they shouldn't, they're skewing what the Bible has to say. And they're limiting a lot of great things that can happen 
um, in a church. They should be leading worship and praying and leading prayer and hosting the weekend service and teaching classes and leading a growth group and serving as deacons and all of those things, everything except for the things that God specifically says no. And to be honest with you, it's because I didn't write this. God did. Again, it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God said. And so we're under his authority when it makes sense and when it doesn't make sense because we trust him and we're believing that he has a purpose for all of it. We believe the Bible and we seek to follow God's word, but we're not gonna add a whole bunch of extra stuff to it here. So women were leading significantly in the Corinthian church. But here in Corinth, uh, during the church services, they needed some additional guidance. Paul's saying, okay, but, but there's a way in which to do it because some of your freedoms, you have the freedom to wear a head covering, to not wear a head covering, to wear your hair in a certain way, but some of your freedoms are communicating something that's not helpful. They're communicating to the people who would watch that you guys aren't under authority, They're using a piece of cloth or maybe the way that they're wearing their hair to communicate that they're not under authority when in fact they are. And so Paul is giving them instructions again, as we've been talking about Christian freedoms, that we should use those freedoms in a way that communicates something that's helpful. Now, these things change with culture, like what those specific things are that point to it. It's just like a number of years ago, if you saw someone with like a full sleeve tattoo on their arm, you would assume they're in a biker game and probably going to hurt you. But now if you saw somebody like that, you'd think they're probably a chef that makes a fantastic pork belly with a citrus demi-glaze. Oh man, I want to eat that restaurant. It means different things today than it did back then. It's a physical symbol. It, it, in the end, it, it's freedom. It doesn't really matter. But in cultures like ours, a particular hairstyle or the way that you wear a piece of cloth doesn't communicate something about authority. But Paul here is, is saying to them, you got to watch that because it does. In the culture that you're in, it does communicate that you're not under authority. And I know that you are seeking to be under God's authority. But any clothing, any action or behavior that we would participate in that would suggest to somebody that, that, that my morals are to be suspect or that my uh, view of authority is wrong, that I'm rebellious, any of those things we should be very, very cautious about. I was actually talking with one of our worship leaders uh, just before the service about something totally unrelated. And she said, I probably shouldn't shop at that store, especially not when I'm, you know, leading worship. I thought that was so wise of her. There's nothing wrong with a particular store style of clothing, but she's just being wise about like, I should be careful about what I'm communicating with the clothes that I wear. That's what Paul's talking about here. You should watch some of that because you're communicating some things that aren't super helpful. We don't actually have a modern day equivalent exactly 
uh, like they did with head coverings. But I did think of a few things. Um, There is, again, like revealing clothing. I think we should be careful about that, men and women both. And I am not of the, uh, I've, I've even worked at some schools that have like brought a ruler out for the how thick a woman's tank top can be. That is ridiculous to me, can I just say? Um, so I'm, I'm not advocating things like that, but I think each of us, I should about myself, think about the clothes that I'm wearing and the way that it communicates something. I think our minds often go to, you know, like Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, like, oh, I wouldn't wear that to church. Well, that's fine. But we should be thinking about... W- what I'm wearing, what is it communicating to people? Is it communicating something uh, that isn't helpful? I think something else that would be um, a a modern day equivalent is our uh, actions with someone of the opposite sex. If you're married, the way that you are interacting with somebody of the opposite sex, maybe it's a flirtatious, maybe it's little text messages, maybe it's the way that you interact at work and, uh, you know, like joking and things like that. Sometimes that can be seen by others. Uh, that isn't, isn't he married? And he's that, that uh, things like that. It's communicating something about their relationship. The thing that I think is probably the most helpful for us is a wedding ring. For somebody who's married, if you see somebody wearing a wedding ring, you know that it says something about their marriage relationship, that they're in a committed relationship together. Now, it's not exact for us because sometimes you just forgot your wedding ring and it's okay. It doesn't communicate some of the same things that theirs did. But these are some specific things. And I don't mean for each of these that what it's communicating, you are meaning to communicate. It's the same thing with the Corinthians here in their uh, context. I don't think for a moment that they were like acting rebellious or, or that they were believing that they were under, that they were no longer under authority, but the ways that they were acting were communicating to the people who were watching that they were people who were rebellious. And so Paul is trying to correct them there to say that this can't be a hindrance to the gospel. I want you to act in ways that show that you are under authority. And so as we've walked through the passage a little bit, hopefully with some of that understanding, I want to draw out for us five key principles that we can see in this passage. So five key principles as we walk through this. First, authority is a good thing. Authority is a good thing. Paul is speaking of these authority structures, both in a marriage and between the Trinity even, and and he's reminding the Corinthians of those things, and he's telling us that we are created to be under authority, that we each need a boss. We each need somebody who's helping us, who's over us, who's um, giving us oversight. There's two pieces to authority. Our minds quickly go to like, oh yeah, they're the boss, they're the one in charge. But there's two pieces, I think, to biblical true authority. There's leadership and there's protection. And I think we quickly go to the leadership piece and we forget the protection piece because true authority is done out of a love for the people who are under your care. True authority is done out of love. Now, you don't have to look very far in our day to see places that authority has been misused or even abused. And if that's happened to you, if somebody who was in an authority position over you has 
abused that or misused their authority, I am deeply sorry because it is painful. But don't miss the fact that authority is a good thing. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because of some ways that people have misused it. It is in authority is intended to be a good thing. The mom would tell her kids to stop playing in the street because she cares about them and doesn't want them to get hit by a car. That's authority. The the police officer would tell you, and me too, because I drive too fast. The police officer would tell you to slow down so that for your own protection and the protection of the other drivers, The the boss would tell their workers to be on time to work because it helps with their efficiency. Now, each of these, we we could look at these and see some of the negative examples and think of the the mom who does that just so that she's viewed in a positive way by her neighbors or or the the police who does that just so that he can feel like he's in charge. There's negative examples of all of these, but at its core, each of these are designed, authority is designed as a good thing for our leadership and for our protection. I am a person under authority and that is a good thing thing. Authority as God's, as God intended it, is leadership that's done out of a love for the other. To serve the person, to serve their physical, their emotional, their spiritual needs of those under their care. And we are, each one of us, are to be subject to all of the authorities in our lives. Paul would tell um, the Romans in Romans 13, He's specifically talking about the governing authorities, but he's talking about authorities here. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Every single authority in your life has been put there by God. Whether they realize it or not, they've been put there by God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but for bad. Will you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for what? For your good. Authority is a good thing. It's instituted by God. Your authorities, the government, your husband, if you're a wife, your your parents, your pastors, your boss, your teachers, they are God's servants for your good. Authority is a good thing. And then second, God's God is our highest authority. God's authority is our highest authority. He says, Uh, Paul says here in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 11, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. He's telling all of us, regardless of what position you are in, all of us are to submit to the Lord. And he's telling us submission to the highest authority in your life. The higher the authority, the greater the submission. The way in which you submit to the authorities in your life, your boss, your teacher, your husband, your parents, your pastor, all of that, the way in which you submit to those earthly authorities is the way that you will submit to God's authority. 
And if you are rebellious towards the people in your life, towards your boss, towards your whoever it is, you will be rebellious to the Lord. I tell my kids often that when they're at school, your teacher is in charge. They're your authority. Now, if there's a problem there, you come and tell me and we'll talk about it. I have a parent-teacher conference this week with my, with my kids' teacher. It was great. But, but if there's a problem there, then I'll step in because I am a higher authority in my kid's life than the teacher is. But it's really important to me that they respect their teachers, that they show grace, that they show honor even towards their teachers because they're respecting their authority. Now, if there's a problem, I will step in and help because I'm their father. I have a greater authority. So if there's an authority in your life, you should submit to and respect that authority. It mirrors the way that you show honor to the Lord. We're to completely submit to God and then to submit to other authorities because God is our highest authority. All right, third principle, a husband is the head. Paul specifically here is using the example to help them understand this example of a husband and wife relationship. He's, he's telling them that the husband is the head of a wife, not in terms of value or importance or anything like that, but simply in terms of role. A familiar passage that is read at a whole lot of weddings, actually, is Ephesians 5 that talks about this same principle. Husbands, submit to your own husbands. See, see it's own husbands. It's not every husband. It's talking about marriages specifically. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The way that you submit to one authority shows the way that you submit to God's authority. For the husband is the head, here's our word again, the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This, these are the roles that we see in a marriage, that in, within a, a godly Christian marriage, that wives are to respect their husband and see him as authority. Remember, leadership and care, leadership and protection, both of those should be present in this. And husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. The husband isn't leading to get his way. He's leading to give himself away. It's a very different thing than what we would see in the world as authority or whoever is the boss. The husband is to lay down his life for his wife. Now, there's a ton of freedom in even a Christian marriage about what that looks like, about about who does the dishes and, and who stays home with the kids when they're young and who mows the lawn and who does the laundry and, and who handles the finances and, and all of those things. There's total freedom for each couple to decide those things. But what we do see in God's word is that the husband is to be the head of the home specifically when it comes to promoting their mutual spiritual growth and then specific major decisions that would affect 
the household. Now, I've been married for over 20 years, and most Christian marriages that have lasted that long or longer will tell you it's really only a handful of times that I have said, now this is what we're doing. Like I can think of two or three ever that have happened. Almost everything is we're working together. And even when it is, this is what we're doing. It's let's do that. Uh, we're, we're, I'm leading us together because remember, it's leadership and protection and care. The husband isn't leading to get his way, but to give himself away. That's what all of this is about. Now, if I could just say to the guys, the guys like it direct. Some of you husbands need to get off of your rear ends and get on your knees because that's what it means to serve. That's what it means to lead. It means being on your knees. Remember, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. That's what it should look like as you lead your wife, as you're the head of your home. Your job is to serve and to lead. So get on it, brothers. Now, sometimes a failure comes, especially with guys. Sometimes a failure comes from apathy. Sometimes it comes from from a misuse of authority. Although a husband is supposed to love his wife, to give himself for her, sometimes a husband does misuse that authority. And so there's just a couple of things I have to say. Like, wives, if your husband is asking you to do something against God's word, I'm not saying that you have to do it. That is when you submit to God as the higher authority. Wives, if your husband is being abusive, call the police right now. Call the police. Wives, if your husband is forcing you to submit or is asking you to do something that contradicts God's word or is acting in a way that's specifically unhealthy to you as a person, call your pastor, call an elder of the church, Go to a higher authority and seeking that authority of the Lord. Because a husband is the head, but the husband isn't leading to get his way. He's leading to give himself away. So don't miss that. Fourth, men and women are equal, totally equal, but have different roles. Men and women are equal, but have different roles. See, part of our problem today in our culture is that it's very hard for us to understand submission and equality as as happening at the same time. We live in a culture that we care so much about status and about who's better than who and all of those kinds of things that we see any authority structure as meaning that one person's more important than the other. But that's not the way that it is. That's not reality. That's just our perception of reality. We can see it even where it all started. You can see it in our text, but I want to take us to Genesis 2, where everything started, where the creation happens. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This word, lots of times we think it's like sidekick or something like that. This word, do you know who this word is talking about most of the times in the Bible when it says helper? Most of the time it's talking about God helping us. So it's not talking about sidekick or anyone less than. Most of the time it's talking about somebody greater than God helping us. So I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird 
of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. So it's like hippopotamus, duckbill platypus. How does he come up with some of these names? It's Emu. I mean, just like, okay, great. So Adam's naming all these uh, animals that they come through. But, but then God goes back to what he was saying. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a great deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place of its flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, here, this is the first Valentine's Day card ever written. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He's, he's basically like, where have you been all my life? Woohoo! That, that's kind of what he was saying. But in all of this, he's, he's saying that like, we're together in this. That, that woman was created from man, but they're together in this. They have different roles, but equal importance. Even in our text of 1 Corinthians 11, um, Paul is saying, he's talking about a marriage relationship. And then right next to it, what's the relationship he gives us? It's the relationship of the Trinity. Remember, equal persons of the Trinity, but different roles. He he talks about that the head of Christ is God. Within the Trinity, the, the Father has the role of authority, of leadership, but, but he's not more important than the Son. He's not more important than the Holy Spirit. All three are equal, but have different roles. They complement each other. And just like the Trinity, a husband and a wife are equal in value and importance and in the Spirit of God being in them, but they're different in role. They complement each other, completely equal in value and importance, yet different in role. And then fifth, my actions should be seen by others as respecting my authority. My actions should be seen by others as respecting my others. Paul also tells um, Titus as he's beginning the church there. Titus is leading the church and Paul's telling him the same thing. Remind them, remind the people to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready for every good work. He's telling them their actions and their attitudes, all of the things that are happening in their lives, the way that they look and the way that they treat one another, all of it should be respecting the authorities that are in their lives. My actions, my work should be seen by all of the people around me that I'm a person who respects authority. So the question is, do the people around you see that? When people look at the way that you live your life, not just the way that you dress, but where you go and how you spend your time and how you interact with your spouse, how you interact with your coworkers, how you treat people at church, how you drive your car, all of those things. Do people around you look at you and think of you as a person who's respectful to authority? Because the way that you respect those earthly 
authorities is the way that you will respect God's authority? Do people see you as a person who respects authority, not necessarily like blindly accepting, but respecting and showing it by my actions? Even though the Corinthians had freedom in Jesus Christ to how they wore their hair and what coverings they put over their head and all of those sorts of things. And even though you and I have complete freedom in those things because of what Jesus Christ has done, my actions and even my appearance need to honor the Lord. And they need to display to the people around me that I am a person under authority. If you're married, you should be asking yourself, do do my appearance, do my actions, do they show that I honor the Lord? Do they show that I respect, that I honor my spouse? For all of us, we need to be asking these questions too. Do, do, Do my appearance, the way that I'm projecting myself to the people around me, does that communicate that I'm under authority? Do my actions, do my attitudes towards others, especially when we're here together at church, do they communicate that I'm obedient to God, that I'm submissive to his authority? Because the world would tell you to to stand tall, to keep your head up, to have great posture where I'm, I'm, I got my head up and I'm shoulders back. But there is only one posture for the followers of Jesus Christ. And it's on our knees in submission to God's authority. That's our role. That's what Paul is calling the Corinthians to here. That's what we are called to here, that each of us to live our lives in a way that show that we are on our knees before the Lord. Because when you look at a soldier standing in uniform, you know immediately that they are a person who's under authority. That he or she, in the way that they live their life, honors not just that uniform, but the people above them in the military. And when someone looks at the way that you live, when someone looks at your uniform, do they see a person under authority? It's a clear message of the way that I live, whether I'm under God's authority or not, because we all do have a king, and that king has all authority, all thrones, all dominion, all honor, and my life needs to reflect that each and every day, not just with my voice, not just with the things that I say or the songs that we sing together, but with my very life declaring that God is my ultimate authority and I am in obedient submission to him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the fact that you are a king above all. We are grateful that you are our ultimate authority, that we have somebody who is above us in leadership and protection, that we can look to you that way. And we are grateful for the ways that we've seen your protection in our lives. Would you give us the grace and the wisdom to live our lives in a way that honor you, that declare to a world around us, that would declare even to our brothers and sisters here in the 
the gathering of believers, that we are people in submission to your authority. We would pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives showing yourself strong so that we could submit even in greater ways. Would you do that in our lives this week, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbiblechapel.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.